This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. BYU Sports Nation is live. You're dated to play-by-play in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Tuesday, December 7th. Thanks for being here. I'm Jerem Jordan Provo. He is Spencer Linton at Stevens Stadium in Santa Clara, California, where last night, unfortunately, BYU lost in PKs. But what a season, what a game, what a finish. As painful as the final result is, Jerem, it was an unforgettable and amazing experience for BYU to even be in this scenario. And I kept hearing the word surreal from several people on the sideline throughout the game because that accurately described the feeling. The BYU coaches, Jen Rockwood and Brent Anderson, after the game specifically, were really emotional about just the turnout from Cougar Nation. And when they said it felt like a home game, it really did. We're talking thousands of BYU fans rumored around 4,000, Jerem, that showed up to watch the game. And there were five different head coaches of different sports at BYU that got on a plane with Tom Holmo and made their way out here. Mike Littlewood, Sean Olmstead, Dilgie Taylor, Kerry Roberts. It was awesome to see all of them be here in support of Jen Rockwood. They're taking pictures to let her know that they were here before the game. And so the emotions that came out after were understandable because it just, it was awesome to watch Cougar Nation flock to Santa Clara and watch this game and even though it was painful in the end uh, an overall unbelievable experience for the entire athletic department and certainly the BYU women's soccer team yeah bummer to lose in that way awesome that it happened right uh, an amazing season by women's soccer congratulations to the the women's soccer team for an incredible season which you and I get to call those games. Uh, Landon Southwick joined us this season. It was very fun to watch that team uh, make a run and almost got it. Okay, here's the show lineup. Oh, Kalani so Sitake in Oregon, question mark. What's being discussed and what do we think? We'll tell you. Spencer talks with Jennifer Rockwood and Cassidy Smith after the national title game in which BYU basketball opponent shockingly took down Florida last night. That win looking even better now. But first, let's get to today's yeah. headlines. Four-seeded BYU women's soccer, as we just mentioned, battled, but ultimately lose in the national championship match against a very talented Florida State team in penalty kicks. 4-3 after the team put on a track meet that lasted regulation and threw double overtime with no score. As has been documented, this is the farthest that BYU has advanced in the bracket ever in program history. Head coach Jen Rockwood and all of her team holding their heads high in spite of last night's loss was the highest of highs certainly a couple days ago and, and and I just don't feel that it's super low right now again I just I feel uh, really happy about everything that we've accomplished you know we came so close to to winning a national championship you can't say that very often so I think there's a lot to be excited about and a lot to be happy for of note seniors Michaela Coulihan and Cameron Tucker along with sophomore Laveni Vaca were all named to the all tournament team Jerem Moore on soccer a little bit later in the show Claudia Sitake addressed the media yesterday. No, not about Oregon, but about, about playing the bowl game. Here's what he said. Now that we know our opponent, we can get, we can get back to work and, and be a little bit more focused on a, on a team that has tons of, uh, tons of weapons and play really uh, great uh, complimentary football. So uh, I'm looking forward to the game, looking forward to being out there in Shreveport. And you guys know me, I'm looking forward to that, that good food out there too. 
The Oregon report came out later. That's why it wasn't addressed. <laughs> he wouldn't probably wouldn't say anything anyway. The game is Saturday the 18th in Shreveport, Louisiana on ABC. Much more coming up about Kalani Sitake and what's trending. I'm ready for some gumbo, Jerem. Kyle Van Noy had a tackle and a pass deflection in the Patriots' 14-10 win over the Buffalo Bills. The Patriots now face the Colts on December 18th. Is New England on pace to get to the Super Bowl again? With a rookie quarterback, we wish Zach Wilson uh, perhaps had a better situation than the Jets like Mac Jones does. Jeez. Women's Hoops is ranked 16th in the AP poll, the highest ranking in that poll ever for BYU women's basketball. Amazing. Cougars are 8-0. They play at Lincoln Riley Liss, Oklahoma on Friday. <laughs> All region awards from the AVCA are out. BYU volleyball stars Whitney Bauer, Heather Knighting, Kenzie Kerber, and Kennedy Eschenberg are four of the 14 players on the Pacific South region team. The honors will continue to roll in for an unbelievable team at BYU that's in the Sweet 16 right now. And news came out uh, in the All-Region Awards as well. Heather Olmstead is the region coach. I don't know what All-Region means, but nice. we give you that information. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. What's Trending is presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Kalani Sataki in Oregon. What? Return of the quack? Let's discuss. Dick Harmon of the Deseret News tweeted the following yesterday uh, at 9 p.m. Hearing that Oregon is requesting Kalani Staki to interview whether or not he does remains to be seen. Now, yesterday, athletic director for BYU, Tom Homo, of course, was on the program, and we asked him what's being done to secure Kalani Sitake's future with BYU. Here's what he said. Uh, we are in conversations with Kalani at this point in time, and he's our coach. We want him for a long time, and good things are going to happen in the near future. Okay, near future, interesting. Uh, Sportsline odds on the next head coach at Oregon have Chip Kelly plus 150, Kalani Sitake plus 400. So what do you make of all of this, Spence? Uh, come on, Chip. That's what I make of it. <laughs> bring, bring the other guy back to Shut Oregon. Up, Chip. Take Kalani Sitake entirely out of the mix. Uh, this is understandable, and I think we all saw this coming. I know that Oregon waited a long time, but why would Oregon not reach out to Kalani Satake, a guy who knows the Pac-12 very well with all of his years as the defensive coordinator at Utah, the one year at Oregon State. He's played a bunch of Pac-12 teams and beaten a bunch of Pac-12 teams, especially this year, 5-0. and So why wouldn't Oregon reach out to Kalani Satake? This makes perfect sense, but it doesn't make it any less unsettling for BYU from an athletic department standpoint and from a fan standpoint. So it's, it's definitely, uh, as I said, unsettling. And, and you know, I, I just want to say, oh, no, please no, please no, not right now. BYU needs their head coach. They're, tra they're transitioning into a Power 5 conference. They're 21-3 and in the last 24. Do whatever it takes to lock this guy down. And I think that BYU, as we heard from Tom Homo, is doing that. It's just a matter of are things happening fast enough? Because as we are watching everything else unfold across the landscape of college football, Jerem, it is incredible how fast coaches change positions. It can happen in a matter of 24 hours. So it's like, okay, what has to happen in the next 24 hours for BYU to make Kalani Satake feel appreciated and validated and loved so that he's like, I'm good. I'm saying it, BYU. I've taken my name entirely out of the mix. I just want things to be expedited. So I am, yeah. I'm not feeling great about it, but I hope that this is 
maybe the news or the, the shove that whoever may be holding something up or not allowing this to happen fast, they, they get the message and they, they lock Kalani Satake up like yesterday. That's how I'm feeling. Yeah, Tom says good things are going to happen in the near future. That just screams that they've been chatting, that they're reworking something else. Sure. And let's yes. talk about it. For those who are naive, well, he's already under contract. What's the big deal? Didn't they renew him through 25 in August? Uh, he just went 10-2 and two against arguably the toughest schedule in BYU history, top to bottom. Um, you have to redo a deal to keep him because there's interest from other schools. Let's be not, not be naive. There's been interest in Kalani Sataki prior to this year. In fact, Chip Kelly was interested in Kalani after 2017 to be his D.C. Kalani said no. He stayed at BYU, right? Um, th- there have been opportunities that Kalani has turned down. We know Kalani Sataki wants to be here, but, but everybody's got a price, bro. Everybody. Do we believe sure. that Salt Lake can match what Oregon would give him? Yes. Do we believe that Salt Lake would match it? I don't. There are certain, there are certain amount of funds that you know, are willing to be splurged on. Um, you know, a lot of that, in, when it comes to a temple, you know, it's all out. When it comes to the head coach of BYU, it's not necessarily the same thing, right? Um, and, and there are varying degrees of thought about whether to, why to do that or why not to do that and whatnot. But I believe that BYU can pay Kalani Sitake a competitive wage that would keep yeah. him here at BYU. I, I believe that. I also believe yeah. that going in and that he wants to be here. But if the price is too high and Oregon actually wants Kalani to be the guy, they could offer him something that is pretty enticing. So this is a, an interesting and perhaps dangerous situation for BYU. I think in the end, and I think you feel this way too, Kalani will end up at, at BYU and, and this won't be a thing, but it's Oregon and it's Phil Knight and it's I Nike know. money. Like, I know. that is some big time stuff. Like, listen, you and I have been at BYU for a long time, but if the, if the price was right, we'd consider something else too. Like, anybody would. Let's not act like everybody's a robot. Everybody's human and they want to help their family as best they can, and that's life changing money. Bronco sure. Mendenhall left for Virginia, who stinks. But they, like, trip, doubled or tripled the salary, and that was an enticing new opportunity. Yet, Kalani Sitake is building something pretty special right here. You talked about it, 21-3 and three the last two years. This year was more impressive than last year because BYU had to do it again and against a tougher schedule and with no Zach Wilson, Brady Christensen, Dax Milne, right? Going into the Big 12, that's all exciting. You finally, you finally get over the hump and beat Utah. You finally put together the validating season as a Power 5 type team. You're on the New Year's 6 just barely outside by literally a foot. This is an exciting time, so hopefully – Hopefully, uh, you know, things work out and, and BYU still has Kalani Sitake. Heck, Oregon might let Kalani continue to wear navy and royal blue together <laughs> if that's part of the deal. I no mean, way. They're probably ready to throw in whatever. <laughs> no way. Uh, not to mention the 78 shades of green. Um, I hate to even think about that. But you and I, we, we love analogies that compare to dating and marriage and we use them often I, I feel like this is exact this is the perfect scenario for that BYU is courting Kalani Satake and they are let's say engaged right now they want to be married for a long time when you are interested in somebody you want to talk to them all the time be around them as much as possible cater to their every need and I'm sure that's what BYU is doing right now I would hope that the communication 
is, if it's not ramped up, it, it should be right now where you're texting and you're calling and you're going to get lunches for them and you're giving them rides wherever they need. You are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that your special person feels extra special to bring them back. Because if you don't, then some other suitor is going to swoop in and take your dream scenario away. So I, I would think, based on Tom Holmo's comments and the scenario now, because all of the, the high-level coaches around the country, most of them are swept up. They're gone. The suitors have come and gone. So if you want to hold on to your special someone, you got to do it now. It's got to be now, and it's got to be consistent, and the communication level has to be constant. And I'm just hoping that BYU is doing that. I think they are. I hope they're doing that so that Kalani feels validated, appreciated, and they can lock him in now because the time crunch is on, my friend. And next Wednesday is signing day. There's a bunch of recruits that want to play for Kalani, want to play for Aaron Roderick and Elias Tuyaki and Fessy Sataki and all these guys. That's interesting timing, too. Uh, Tom, Tom said good things are going to happen in the near future. So near future could be days, man. Uh, I mean, this could happen quick. Either way, uh, we hope that you know Kalani stays at BYU. It's obvious that B- Kalani loves BYU. Watch the Deep Blue. Watch him talk about BYU. He wants to be here for a long time, and they're building stuff. He wants to win a national championship here. Um, he wants to do something special. So I believe that BYU will get it done, and he'll stay at BYU. But again, Oregon could throw a pretty big number at him that not every school can. Yes. I mean, we're talking about, you know, I mean – Seven and a half to eight million dollars a Why year. Why wouldn't it be ten? That's well, like ge- generational money. Yes, the, and you know Lincoln Riley gets a ten-year, a hundred and ten million dollar contract at USC, and then Mel Tucker at Michigan State gets a ten-year deal, and he's getting nine and a half million a year or whatever it is. The, you don't this think is Phil crazy Knight would, money that Oregon can compete with? Yes. Absolutely. Phil Knight and Nike in Oregon, they can compete with that if they want somebody badly enough. The question is, do they want Kalani Satake at that number yeah. for that long? Uh, we'll find out in the coming days. Or maybe not. Maybe we don't hear anything of it. They hire somebody else and the world stays normal and it's great and BYU keeps their man. I know that's what I have my fingers crossed for, that's for sure. Absolutely. Okay, our question of the day. How do you feel about Kalani Satake potentially? being interviewed by Oregon. Let's get to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. Weigh in on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter like KS Squared 423. Go be interviewed, but I would personally be devastated if he took the job. Why do I care so much? I think I'd literally fly out to Provo and grovel to keep him. That's right. I'd face Terminal B for him (laughs) twice. Terminal B at Salt Lake Airport is like... Is it like a, two miles? It's so long. Um, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it feels that way. I flew yeah. I flew out of a B gate on my way out to Santa Clara. What? Yeah, it is it is a country mile. To you didn't get take there. Delta? Shoot, man. I did. It was a Delta flight out of a B gate. Oh, dang it! <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, that's some real groveling right there, uh, Jerem. Coming up. Uh, speaking of making sacrifices and going through hard things. Would you take a soccer ball to the face if it meant keeping your team in the national championship race? We'll talk about it like Grace Johnson did. Plus ESPN's Trevor Maddich on the situation with Oregon. What does he think of it? This is BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by BYU Food to Go. 
the MVP of your next event. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Join us tonight for BYU Basketball with Mark Pope as the coach and Greg Rubel review the win at Missouri State and look ahead to a massive showdown with in-state rival Utah State in the Marriott Center tonight, 8.30 Eastern, on the BYU TV app. Live in Studio B with you day-to-day -day BYU Sports play-by-play. -play. Spencer Linton is in Santa Clara, California as well. We now bring in from an undisclosed location in Connecticut, Trevor Maddich on a Maddich <laughs> Tuesday. Trevor, welcome back to the program. Good to have you. It is great to be back, and what a close match that was in the national championship game. I mean, I tell you what, the our our ladies playing soccer were magnificent, it, just magnificent. You know, I, for a while I thought I was watching a soccer match and a football game broke out. Because I tell you what, they were not backing <laughs> down. I just love the way they play. Yeah, it got very physical there. It was crazy. Went to PKs. BYU ultimately lose, unfortunately. But uh, the BYU women's soccer team made us all proud. What a tremendous season. It was very fun to watch. Okay, let's talk about the topic at hand, Trevor. Uh, a report that, uh, you know, Oregon's interested in interviewing Kalani. No report of Kalani interviewing with Oregon quite yet. But it's expected that, you know, that would probably happen given how good BYU's been the last two years. What are your thoughts on that situation? Uh-oh. That, that's my thought, because Oregon could very well make a real play for Kalani Sataki. And I mean, upwards of five, six million, seven million. I mean, they could really do it. There's a couple of reasons why they might make that kind of an offer. One of them is that Kalani Sataki is that good of a coach. And he's proven that over the last couple of years in unusual circumstances. Last year with COVID being the only team playing west of the Rockies and having to make things up as they went along. And they turned in one of the one of the most remarkable seasons in the history of BYU football, one of the best coaching jobs. Then this year, with seven Power 5 teams on the roster, with so many guys off to the NFL, including their quarterback, Zach Wilson, they turned in another one of the most remarkable coaching jobs and seasons in the history of BYU football. So Kalani Sataki has proven that he's worthy of any job. The other problem is that Mario Cristobal left Oregon very late in the process. I mean, there were a ton of big, high-profile jobs, including a bunch of just regular-profile jobs that were open. I mean, Florida, LSU, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, USC. And so coaches were moving around. But Miami took their time, and they delayed firing their head coach. And it took a while for Mario Cristobal to decide to leave Oregon. So now coaches have already moved. A lot of the best prospects have already signed. And – the pool of, of available prospects, either people that, well, they're really coaches that are, that you can pry away from their current job. And I don't think there's anyone that's better for Oregon than Kalani Sataki. So they might need to Oregon pay, offer more to coach Sataki just because of supply and demand. And that would make it pretty hard to turn down. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen here, but for BYU fans, some angst is warranted because fortunately and unfortunately, their head coach is an outstanding head coach, recognized and respected at a national level, and he's likely to get a very big offer if they decide to go that direction. Trevor, understandably, BYU fans are hoping that maybe another big name comes in, but as you mentioned, there aren't a ton of names out there. Uh, if another coach besides Kalani Satake is to get the Oregon job, who might that be that Oregon is interested in besides BYU's head football coach? You know, it's, it's kind of hard to say. 
it's kind of hard to say right now because most of, the, of the, the coaches have been snapped up. I mean, people have been talking about Chris Peterson, who was so successful at Boise State and uh, at Washington. He might come back, but I, I don't see him jumping to the other side of that rivalry necessarily unless he really has a niche to coach. Brian Harson is an interesting name. He coached at Boise for a long time, and he waited a long time for a, a Pac-12 job or something out west to open up, and it never did. And he got the offer from, or never did in a way that, that he was interested to leave Boise. He got the job at Auburn. He went out there and actually did a, a nice job of coaching, given all the things that were happening out there. And he's a more natural fit for Oregon. And after one year at Auburn, would he want to leave Auburn to come back to Oregon? It's a possibility. So that's one of the things that could happen. Another thing that, that makes this kind of full of angst for BYU fans, though, is that when BYU gets to the Big 12 and they start getting a full share of, of Big 12 money, then the money will be there to pay at that level to compete with offers from places like Oregon. But that's, that's not for a couple of years now. And so the question will be what kind of offer – can BYU make, what kind of promises can BYU make? Because once they get to the Big 12, football will be self-funding to the point that they'll be able to really ratchet up those those offers. And keep in mind that we're just not talking about the head coach, we're talking about his staff as well. And so if Coach Sataki leaves, uh, which he would be within his rights to do, he's got to take care of his family, then BYU will be in the same place that Oregon's in right now. Who are they going to bring in this late in the process? And given that there's not that many people that qualify to be the head coach of BYU anyway because of, of church issues, then that puts BYU kind of between a rock and a hard place. So, you know, it, this is a this is a really perilous time. Now, it's possible that Coach Sataki wants to put in the, the Lavelle plan. And he would like to stay at BYU and make a life in Provo. And I, I see that as a possibility, too. But, you know, Oregon... You know, for BYU fans, they better hope they grab somebody like a Brian Harson to, to come in so that Coach Sataki isn't fully tempted. Temptation right now is not our friend. Talking to ESPN's Trevor Maddich on BYU Sports Nation, it certainly is interesting, and the timing's interesting, like you mentioned as well, because early signing day is eight days from now. BYU expects to sign a large crop of, of signees, and it's a really good class given how the season's gone, given the Big 12. So hopefully... We figure this out soon. Tom Hummel said yesterday, he's our coach. We want him for a long time. Good things are going to happen in the near future. To me, that says they're trying sure. to do something with him, uh, renegotiated contract or whatever. That's what that smells and sounds like. But, hey, you got to do it fast, right? Well, you at least need to give him a reason to, to be tempted to stay at BYU financially. Because, again, you can't blame coaches for going on to the next spot. I mean – uh, Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma and went to USC. And there's reasons why he did it beyond the money. And there's there's always things that coaches are thinking about. And you can never blame a coach for doing what he feels is best for himself and his family. That That's never a thing. Uh, but for BYU, the, the conversation is going to be a little bit different from others. Because for others, it's just money talks. Money talks and here's our facilities and we'll upgrade them in this way to help you and all these other things. Uh, but from a standpoint of, of what BYU can do right now, they'll be able to do a lot more in a couple of years. So the question is, how are those conversations going to go? The flip side of that, though, is if, if Coach Sataki decides to stay, then look at the national conversation. Because right now, the, the games are over, except for Army-Navy coming up. And the, the playoffs are set. The Heisman finalists are set. This is one of the big points of conversation nationally. 
So as recruits and their parents and future recruits are watching TV and listening to radio now, what they're hearing about is how in demand the BYU coach is, about how valuable the BYU coach is, how everybody wants the BYU coach. If he remains the BYU coach, when he walks into those living rooms and makes those phone calls down the road, he will have a much higher Q factor, a much higher celebrity factor, which helps BYU. So we'll see how all this shakes out. In the meantime, Trevor, BYU is the number 13 team in the country, according to the latest college football playoff rankings. What did you think about BYU dropping a spot and having a team like Pittsburgh and Utah, whom BYU obviously beat head-to-head, and the Cougars have one less loss in Utah, jump ahead of them and put BYU at number 13 in that final poll? I'm okay with that because it had to happen. No matter who won the Pac-12 championship game, they were going to get a spot in the Rose Bowl. So that eats up a power, a power, or excuse me, a, a New Year's Six Bowl slot. Same way with the ACC champion. No matter what they were ranked, if, BYU, if Utah and Pittsburgh had both remained behind BYU in the final ranking, they still would have eaten up two power, or excuse me, two New Year's Six Bowl games. And that's important because for BYU fans, what matters here is not the final ranking so much as do they get into the New Year's Six or do they not? And the fact that they beat Utah, that Utah has one more loss than BYU, is irrelevant. Utah won the Pac-12, and contractually, they're going to the Rose Bowl, and that's a New Year's Six Bowl. Really, what kept BYU out of the New Year's Six were a couple of things that they don't control and one thing that they did. What they didn't control is what happened ahead of them not behind them with the ACC and Pac-12 championship games, but ahead of them. Had Oklahoma State made that last couple of inches and ended up beating Baylor, that would have been Baylor's third loss, and Baylor right ahead of BYU in the second-to-last ranking may well have fallen behind BYU because of that. That would have given BYU the final at-large spot. Same way with Michigan State. Michigan State finished uh, as the the last at-large team, the lowest-ranked at-large team, and they faced Penn State in the last regular season game. That was a bad matchup for Michigan State because Penn State's defense, very good against the run. Penn State's passing attack is a bad matchup for the the one of the worst passing defenses statistically in all of college football. That's Michigan State. But Michigan State pulled that out because they scored 34 points in the snow against that excellent Penn State defense. Now, had Penn State won that game, then you would have also had Michigan State falling behind BYU most likely and BYU picking up the last at-large spot in the New Year's Six. So they didn't control that, but those things were just inches away from happening. What they did control is the loss to Boise. Five teams beat Boise. One of them was at BYU. BYU was uncharacteristically sloppy with the ball. Four turnovers for the Cougars, none for Boise State, and that was the difference in that game. And so had BYU beat Boise, then they probably would have been in the New Year's Six anyway. So there's something that they controlled, and then a couple of things that still could have got them in that they didn't control but just were literally inches away. And BYU's not in the in the New Year's Six Bowl games. It was so close. It really was. Trevor, we appreciate the time. Best of luck with all the analysis you'll be providing. And uh, we enjoy watching you on ESPN, of course, uh, throughout the week. Great. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. ESPN's Trevor Maddich on BYU Sports Nation. Spence, what's coming up, baby? All right, Cassidy Smith on the emotions following last night's game, a must-see interview. I'm excited to see it myself. Plus, is this the biggest week of the men's basketball season? Utah State and Creighton will discuss. This is BYU Sports Nation.
This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Visible Supply Chain Management. In another in-state rivalry matchup tomorrow for BYU basketball, watch as 24th-ranked BYU hosts Utah State. Coverage begins at 8 Eastern on BYU Radio and at 8.30 Eastern with countdown to tip-off live on BYU TV. Game tips at 9 Eastern. He is Spencer in Santa Clara. I am Jeremy Provo. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Of course, you can always interact with the show and content throughout the day by following BYU Sports Nation on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Let's whip it! Good Whip Round is presented by Visible Supply Chain Management, tackling America's most challenging shipping problems. Jerem, how will the BYU women's soccer team be remembered in 2021? As the greatest team that's ever fielded, uh, you know, been fielded by BYU. It was, it was an incredible run. Yeah. They were awesome. They didn't have the greatest regular season. Co-champs in the league came down to the last game, overtime against Pepperdine, but uh, led the nation in goals, had the greatest player in program history in Michaela Kulan, one of the greatest forwards in BYU history in Cameron Tucker. Jennifer Rockwood's greatest team. They were amazing. National runner-up. So proud. Amen to all of that. They should be remembered as the greatest team ever to be at BYU for all of the reasons you just stated. I'll remember this team as a squad that went through a ton of adversity, came back after some frustration in the spring season, turned it around on short notice essentially, and got all the way to the final. I mean, they just they beat the odds in so many ways, Jeremy. So a very special team. They should be remembered that way. COVID has been terrible in a lot of ways. One benefit was we still got to see some of those seniors play on this team this year, and that was special. Yeah. Volleyball yeah, as well. Yeah. A lot, Alex Barcel, a lot of a lot of players, right? Grace Johnson took a ball Absol- to the face last absolutely. night to preserve the shutout in regulation. Would you be willing to take a point-blank shot right, bam, in the kisser for a potential national championship? You know, as long as it didn't break my nose, probably. <laughs> no guarantees. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, probably if, if a national championship is on the line, that's terrible. You know, you got to channel your inner Scott Sterling to pull that off. Yep. Get Matt Meeson uh, from Studio C to interview on how to appropriately take that ball uh, to the kisser. Um, but I, yeah, I'd probably do it. But I just so much respect for Grace Johnson because that could not have felt good. My goodness. She already got hit in the face earlier in the season and like got, you know, bruised or cut or something. So. Yeah, that's listen, she's a center back. That's what she does. Um, yes, I yep. would do that, especially yep. for men's volleyball to get over the hump. Yesterday I said I'd seen three national titles lost by BYU. It's actually four. 13, 16, 17, <laughs> oh, 21. Four. It's it is hard, man. It is hard to watch, yeah. It doesn't feel good. This is my first one in person witnessing BYU lose. Yeah, I'd, uh, I don't envy that you've seen four of these. <sighs> All right, Jerem, the BYU men's basketball this week. Our men's basketball team schedule this week includes a home contest against Utah State and a neutral site game in South Dakota against a very good Creighton team. Did this week just become the biggest week of the season? No. January 13th and 15th. That's a Gonzaga-San Francisco week. Oh, by the way, San Francisco 28 in net and 32 in Ken Palm. So that, to me, is the biggest week. Gonzaga, number one, of course. Uh, You know, not in the AP poll, but... Uh, still in Ken Palm sure, there. Sure. Hard to argue with any week that features Gonzaga and uh, what they're going to bring to the table. But, Jerem, my goodness, San Francisco has been the surprise team of the season for me. Uh, they just keep winning. And that's good for BYU's metrics as long as the Cougars can beat the Dons. But I- I'm with you. That, that week in January is hard to beat with San Francisco and Gonzaga. Huge week approaching. And it's a conference game. 
you know, as big as these non-conference contests are and putting together your tournament resume, conference games matter most. Yeah, and I can't wait for San Francisco to have a really good season, which means the NIT. Texas Southern beats number 20 Florida <laughs> last night in College Hoop. Is it too early to start scoreboard watching? Never. It's never too early to start scoreboard watching. Congratulations to Texas Southern. They're going to make the NCAA tournament, Jerem, because that's do. what they do. They make yeah. it every year. They play it. They play a ridiculously tough schedule in the non-con, and then they get in the conference, they win it, and they play in the NCAA tournament as like a 15 or a 16 seed. Congratulations to them. If anything, it uh, knocks the team out of the way for BYU if the Cougars win this week to jump up a spot or two in the rankings again. In Ken Palm, by the way, the best team on BYU's schedule besides Gonzaga is San Francisco. And then it's St. Mary's, yeah. so all these yeah. non-con, none of them hold a candle to three conference teams, which is pretty crazy right now. Man. Notre Dame football released their 2022 schedule this morning. They'll be coming off of a bye prior to facing the Cougars in Las Vegas on October 8th. Should that concern BYU fans that Notre Dame has a bye before that huge neutral site game in Vegas? I'm already concerned. It's Notre Dame. That's a big game. New head coach yeah. Marcus Freeman and yeah. the gang will be there. Um, it, it'll be a really fun situation regardless. And, yeah, on a bye week, there's not a lot of prep for the next game. They, they kind of just work and self-scout and rest up. It's not like they're two weeks on BYU. The whole schedule should concern BYU fans because it features Baylor, Arkansas, Oregon, and Notre Dame. Like, <laughs> That, to me, is the bigger concern. Like, yeah. of course, yeah, bye week, whatever. Next year's schedule is absolutely loaded again. So I'm more concerned about the big picture over there. Amen to that. All right, coming up, it's a 25-year throwback edition of Top 5 Tuesday. And Spencer's conversation with goalkeeper Cassidy Smith, all the emotions, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. You don't want to miss it. It's coming up as BYU Sports Nation continues from Provo and Santa Clara. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. On the latest Deep Blue podcast, Jerem Jordan talks with Travis Hansen about his mom's influence on his life, playing professional basketball in Spain and Russia, and being nicknamed Elder 8 Mile. Listen to it on the BYU Radio app and where podcasts are found. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation, live from Santa Clara, California, and Provo, Utah. Last night at Stevens Stadium, where I'm located now, and the site of the NCAA Women's Soccer National Championship, we watched that penalty kick spectacle that finished with Florida State celebrating and BYU watching that celebration. But that did not stop the Cougars from appreciating what an incredible season and moment that they had pulled together. I spoke with BYU senior goalkeeper Cassidy Smith after an emotional taxing game and her last stand after a seven-year injury-riddled career that finished on the biggest of stages. Understandably, emotions were raw. She was very real, and the finality of it was tough. A can't-miss one-on-one with Cassidy Smith on BYU Sports Nation. Cassidy, I know the emotions are raw after an unbelievable track meet of a match against Florida State that goes to PKs, back-to-back games at the College Cup in PKs. What's, what are you feeling right now overall as you, you try and summarize everything that just happened? Um, I think definitely a mixture of emotions. I'm obviously very sad. Um, trying to keep the reality that that's my last game in the back corner. We'll uh, deal with that one later. But just, I am really proud of our team. Like it, 
it's one of those games that it's like PKs go either way. And, you know, a couple of days ago it went our way and we were pumped. And to, for it to go this way, it stings, you know. But it's kind of the way of soccer we battled. Like, couldn't ask for more from my teammates and the team in general. It's just soccer doesn't go your way sometimes. <laughs> it kind of sucks. <laughs> it's a very delicate, fickle sport for sure. And for, again, to go all the way through double overtime and get to PKs again, um, how would you summarize just your team's performance overall tonight, aside from the end result in penalties? Yeah. Um, definitely the first half wasn't our best performance. We went into the locker room saying we can be better and we can beat this team and um, we know what we need to do, right? There wasn't any, like, strategizing. It was like we can just be better. And we came out and did that second half in both overtimes. Um, girls were on fire, had opportunities, didn't bounce our way, didn't go our way, and happens, but really proud. Um, something we've been working on all season long is a full 90. We did 110, and and couldn't ask for more, honestly, from the girls. So, What did it mean to you to see Cougar Nation show up at Stevens Stadium like they did tonight, estimated around 4,000 BYU fans? So emotional. like. I just, and then they stayed around and waited for us, right? While well, we gathered our emotions and got nerves up to go face them, right? But it means a lot. Um, and you could feel it on the field. It felt like a home game. It felt like we were on South. So um, wish we wish we could have pulled out the win for Cougar Nation so badly. Um, but, you know, I think we set the groundwork and this team's going to come back. I, I'm going to be in the stands next time, but... This team's going to do it. I fully believe next year and years to come, uh, we just set a new a new tone for BYU soccer. So, You left your mark individually getting this team to the College Cup and then into the National Championship. Let's walk through the technicalities of that last PK shootout. Uh, what are you thinking going into that? What, walk us through the mindset before a penalty kick, uh, kick shootout begins, especially the one tonight. Um, I mean, we do a lot of film for PKs, right? Everyone's got their spots, um, but it's a tricky one because you can't just bank on your film. You easily switch to the other side. So um, definitely like reviewing the film and what we think they're, what side we're going to think they're go, but also just, just bringing it back in and focusing on me. I think it's easy to get wrapped up in trying to distract them and there's parts in that, right? But ultimately you just got to focus on me and was hoping for one more block, but it didn't happen. But I don't know. It's just disappointing. All right. Well, let's start with the uh, you know the breakdown of the the five shots. Let's start with the high, the the block. You know what happened on that play, and and how did your research and uh, scout of that uh, specific player help out? Yeah, we actually scouted her as going the opposite way. So um, I think that's what kind of made me question my other ones because thought she was going to go to my right from the scout, but um, she gave me sign she was going left, so I went left, and then after it was after that shot, I'm like, oh shoot, maybe they've all switched their sides, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's a tricky game. PKs are hard. The other keeper came up with two big saves, and sometimes it's all you need, right? So, I've gathered that the sentiment of teams when you play in penalty kick situations is, you know, you never really want to go to that. You want you want to settle it in the regular pace of play, and you don't want to go to that. So how do you deal with that emotionally, both as the winner and the loser, given what you accomplished in the College Cup here? 
I think PKs are something you just nod your head to the other team and say good game for because it's something that goes either way. You can't, um, I mean, obviously there's huge parts of it, right? Your composure, your ability to place the ball, but in the end, that's not, doesn't reflect you as a soccer player, right? So um, both to Santa Clara and both to Florida State, you nod your head and say, that was a good game, like we'll see you next year type of thing and um, good game. I think it's the most you can say. Okay, we talked about the save. Let's talk about uh, the last play. And I particularly was interested and appreciated what your teammates did right after Florida State scored to clinch it and, and they came and supported you. What were those final moments like as you gathered with your team in front of your goal? Um, a lot for them to come, come to me, right? Um, I didn't know what to do. I think I was kind of in shock, couldn't believe it. Um, and it wasn't what I was expecting. They kind of, I thought they would be sad and almost like join me. But instead they lifted me up and they're like, we're good, you know? Um, and I think that reflects our team a lot. Um, we are good and it was a heck of a season. And we battled this season. There were things we, we really, um, early in the season, you know, if you would have told me we would have been here, I wouldn't have believed you. As much as I would have wanted to, I wouldn't have believed you. But we battled, and for them to pick me up off my knees and uh, say, you know what, good game, good game. And uh, I truly believe this, these girls, um, they're going to take it next year. You know what, they're, they have it in them. Um, and it's going to be hard to watch them. I'm going to want to be out there, but um, I'll, I'll be a cheerleader. It'll be just a, a sweet victory uh, these next coming years. So. What you don't know is we're currently petitioning for an eighth year for you. Okay, okay so we'll get back to you on that. Uh, <laughs> let me think about that one. <laughs> I have surgery Friday, so we'll see how quick. <laughs> but Yeah, and for those that haven't seen what you've gone through in your deep blue feature and, and haven't followed closely, I mean, you've been dealing with shoulder issues and shoulder pain, and you've worked through so many different injuries. And, it, I mean, it's just been a wild ride for you to be in this position. So uh, walk us through now what's going to happen um, with surgery and, and what exactly you were playing through. Um, yeah, I feel really grateful um, to have been able to play this season. I, I thought I definitely was done last spring. Um, I was coming out every other week, and trainer looked at me and she goes you're not playing next year <laughs> like there's no way I'm like I'm playing I am playing I will figure it out um and it my shoulder hung in there with me so I'm grateful only came out five or six times so that's like it's a big improvement um and my team hanging hung in there with me trusted me um so Friday get the surgery on my shoulder and knee they're doing it both in one procedure and hopefully put me back together a little bit and figure out life. I don't really, really know what I'm doing. I didn't really look past this point. I've tried to, but also just tried to soak in this. So. Okay. A lot to process there. Your shoulder only popped out five, five or six, five or six times. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, a, that's a, a massive improvement. I mean, it just shows your toughness. That's, it's an unbelievable. And you mentioned you have a knee procedure as well. So what type of a recovery process are we talking about? Do you have a timetable on that or what can we expect? Um, probably, I, def I meet with him Wednesday, my surgeon, but the shoulder will probably take 12 months. They're going to do some, they'll sew up the labrum and then do some bone grafts probably to, I don't really know what they're going to do. Hopefully make it better. <laughs> so, I don't know.
Was it all worth it? It was all worth it. No regrets. Um, yeah, I can't imagine I'd be kicking myself if I didn't uh, take this last year. So grateful for the coaches letting me come back for the team and uh, putting up with me for one more season. So Let's put a bow on this. How will you remember this season and the 2021 run that BYU Women's Soccer made to the national championship match? Um, I'll remember my teammates. Uh, it's going to be hard. I've been able to keep in the tears and they're you know they're my best friends and like I said I don't think anyone knows the hard things we've gone through it's kind of a team thing right um but it brought us really close and it's gonna be hard to get off that plane and not gonna see them every day so it's gonna be hard but um got to be with a lot of alumni this weekend and see them come out and support us and I know those relationships don't end, and those are things you remember and soak in, and um, these girls better not ditch me because <laughs> I'm counting on them to hang in there with me, and uh, these seniors that I'm walking off with, I'm going to become Kayla and Cam's biggest fans as they go take on the professional league, um, and then the rest of us seniors, we'll just be their fangirls. We'll hype them up. Um, they're going to do big things. So we're excited for them. These interviews are never easy to do. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Congratulations on a fabulous career, Cassidy. We thank you for the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cassidy Smith, BYU Sports Nation, All Access one-on-one. -on -one. And, Jeremy, I just love how real and raw and genuine she was. And I meant what I said. Those, those interviews are so tough, and I just thought she was fantastic in that scenario. No, that was one of the best interviews that's ever aired on this program. I mean, Cassidy is such an incredible person. And she hung in there, shoulder popping out, knee, surgery Friday. That's unbelievable. Go watch your Deep Blue if you haven't seen it. We put it out there yesterday on social media. Yes, an incredible sacrifice by her personally to do what she did for BYU Women's Soccer. And she's part of a rising shout-out to an historic, unforgettable season coming up. Plus, Top 5 Tuesday, we rewind it all the way back to 96, the football season. This is BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. BYU Sports Nation is always available on demand via the free BYU TV and BYU Radio apps. It's time for Top 5 Tuesday, presented by Delta Airlines in the B Terminal. Exactly 25 years to the day, BYU <laughs> beat Wyoming in the 1996 WAC Championship game on Ethan Potchman's game-winning field goal in overtime. Today we look back at the top five plays from that memorable season. All right, Jeremy, at number five, the CFL Hall of Famer Ben Cahoon and his diving catch against Texas A&M in the Pigskin Classic. Deep post route to put the Cougars in the red zone. Laying out. Beautiful catch. He say later, Ben Wood, that that was probably the best catch of my life. BYU won in a shootout 41-37. Number four, Ethan Potchman nails a 32-yard field goal in overtime to beat Wyoming 28-25. In the WAC title game at Sam Boyd Stadium in those rickety north end zone seats. Potchman hit four field goals in the night. You and I were there, Spence. This year, KSL put out some video that I had never seen of 13-year-old me with my sister Whitney and Aunt Angie on the field, <laughs> which is awesome. My uh, Dwight Schrute haircut was also awesome. You look amazing, man. <laughs> Number three, also amazing. We go back to the Pigskin Classic against Texas A&M. This time, it's the KO Punch. 
From Steve Sarkeesian to Kale Kalalui, 46-yard touchdown catch to win the game. BYU got the ball back with a minute and a half, down three, needed 30 seconds to complete that game-winning drive. Number two, let's go to the Cotton Bowl. Sarkeesian finds Kalaluhi again, but in the end zone to take a late 19-15 lead on Kansas State. The 28-yard touchdown on third down helped complete a second-half 10-point comeback in BYU's only New Year's Day Bowl. Aren't those New Year's Day games fun? At number one, Omar Morgan with a heads up from his buddy Ed Keel. At the line, made the call, said the slant's coming. Interception to seal the game, makes the play of the year, cut off that slant route, tipped it to himself, and came down with the game winner. What a glorious day, January 1st, 1997. Oh, it was beautiful. Love that play. So good. Those are the top five plays presented by Delta Airlines. Our question of the day, how are you feeling about uh, the possibility of Kalani Sataki interviewing with Oregon? In response to that, our Elite Voice of the Day is presented by Sundance Mountain Resort at Jared underscore Buckeye underscore call on Instagram. I wish I could see the look on the Oregon AD's face when Kalani gives him the most sportsmanlike heck no in history. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> we hope, right? Okay. Today's Rise and yeah. Shoutouts presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. You know what? I want to give one to the BYU women's soccer team, Jerem uh, Cassidy Smith. Just an unforgettable interview. What she did, the sacrifice she put in, and all of the girls uh, to to take BYU Sports Nation and all of Cougar Nation on a fantastic ride all the way to the national championship. Which is why I'm in Santa Clara, man. It was so awesome. Yeah, it was an incredible run. It really was. Congratulations to uh, the women of the women's soccer team. Our thanks to today's guests, Trevor Maddich and Cassidy Smith. Sorry to Dennis Pitta. Apparently we ran out of time again. The conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use the hashtag BYUSN. For Spencer, I'm Jerem. Shout out to Jordan Johnson. See you tonight for the Pope Show at 8.30 Eastern on the BYU TV app. Go Cougs from Provo and Santa Clara. <laughs>